Now, I admire Cassius Clay, I do. What I admire is, in his sport, there's an element of true combat. When Cassius Clay meets Sonny Liston in the ring, that's not two athletes posturing. That's combat. Two men trying to kill each other right now. If you don't beat him, he kills you. That's beyond athletics. That's beyond wide world of sports, you know. That's two warriors engaged in combat. That's what I admire. In martial arts tournaments, they won't let you fight like that. It's very frustrating. You stand in front of a guy, you just want to let him have it. But you can't. So you got to do this play-acting, patty-cake version. Cassius Clay, Sonny Liston, Joe Lewis. The colored boxer, not that white kickboxing asshole. They do what they need to do to win. They unleash as much punishment as they have to to defeat the other guy. But in martial arts tournaments, I do to win what they do to win. I unleash all my power. I kill people. Well, if you fight Cassius Clay, who would win? Well, that would never happen. But if you did, what do you think would happen? I'd make him a cripple. <laughs> hey, you. What's your name? Me? Yeah, you. My name's Cliff. I'm Rick Dalton's stunt double. Stuntman? Yeah. You know you're kind of pretty for a stuntman. That's what they tell me. So, did I say something funny, stuntman? Yeah, you kind of did. What's so funny? Look, man, I don't want any trouble. I'm just here to do a job. But you're laughing at what I'm saying. But I'm not saying anything funny. So what do you think is so funny? What I think is... You're a little man with a big mouth and a big chip. And I think you should be embarrassed to suggest you be anything more than a stain on the seat of Cassius Clay's trunks. Brother, you're the one with the big mouth. And I would really enjoy closing it, especially in front of all my friends. But my hands are registered as lethal weapons. That means we get into a fight, I accidentally kill you. I go to jail. Anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. And I think all that lethal weapon horse shit is just an excuse so you dancers never have to get in a real fight. Okay. How about a friendly contest? No punching in the face. Two out of three. Who puts who on the ground first? Nobody tries to hurt nobody. Just who ends up on their butt? That's a great idea, Cato. You know, Bruce, that guy's kind of famous. That guy? For what? Killed his wife and got away with it. That guy? That guy.
Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. We wrap up our trilogy today with Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in... Dot, 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 Hollywood. Or wait a minute. It's actually Once Upon a Time... Dot, 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 in Hollywood. Either way... When I finished watching this film in the theaters, I thought it dot 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 sucked. But the thing is, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. But the thing is, it's a film that just like stuck in my head, and I couldn't get it out. And I wrestled with it. And we mentioned a few weeks ago about how when something doesn't sit with me, I just obsess about it, and I try to figure out why. Why? So I was so excited for the film to be released on home video. I immediately picked it up. And went through it, and then went through it again for this podcast. So I've seen this film like three, three and a half times now. Because, you know, once, you, once you're familiar with it and you just watch it, you kind of go back and forth between your favorite scenes. And I think I'm as 50-50 on it now as I was in the beginning. There's stuff that I love about it, and there's stuff that I am so... I don't want to say hate, but I'm so unenthused. And so I, I can't remember the last time I was this frustrated with a film. I know you have a very different response to it, and I want you to talk about that. What makes you so excited about this flick? Um, in some ways, I, I feel like it's designed for me, which is strange because I don't particularly care about this time period in Hollywood. Uh, I don't have any great affinity for uh, the 1960s era of film or uh, more specifically in this film, TV, because our main character played by Leonardo DiCaprio is a primarily a TV actor who uh, he even states in the film may have thrown away his career trying to become uh, a movie star that, you know, trying to become uh, in this uh, alternate timeline, Steve McQueen, like he possibly could have been a Steve McQueen like character, but instead he's going to be one of those guys that, like me, I don't remember anything about who was in what Western show in the 60s. What, it's it's just, not to downgrade what people do but having very successful careers, it's just entertainment for the time, and it's not lasting. And so what does speak to me is, apparently my favorite genre of film is the Hang movie. Uh, and you... I did think about that, yeah. You abhor that genre with a passion, from all I can no! gather. No! You hate Richard Linklater, who is like the god of that genre, and I I adore uh, when he sticks to that. I mean, he sometimes does a Soderbergh thing where he does like you know School of Rock. He tries different sort of genres and stuff. I want him to do Dazed and Confused every year. I want him to do the Before <laughs> trilogy every nine years. Uh, no thanks to uh, Julie Delpy, who is I guess putting the the brakes on that. And this is Quentin Tarantino's ultimate hang movie between two guys for the most part. There's other things going on, like, you know, the horrible impending tragedy that the film kind of plays with. That's what I was most apprehensive about. And Tarantino, I don't think there's been a project since Jackie Brown. I know it started with Kill Bill, where I read what he's up to. Uh, I see some of the early marketing, and I'm like, that could be really bad. I, I remember thinking Kill Bill could be really stupid. This could just not work at all. And his war movie that he wanted to do for, he talked about it in the 90s. He wanted to do a World War II movie. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if he can do that. The Grindhouse double feature, which you didn't even support at the time of its, of its release. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently you felt even more stern than I did. And 
at this point, since he's swearing that there's only going to be one more film, I guess I should now stop doubting him. But I initially was very hesitant because I hate the true crime stuff. I find it, uh, you know, insulting at best and borderline evil to be profiting off of people's uh, tragedies and trauma. So, yeah, when it was announced that he was going to do something about two guys, two fictional characters living next to Sharon Tate around the time period of the Manson murders, I really, really... And even as I was watching the film, every time they cut to Margot Robbie and Sharon Tate, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to like how this turns out. I, I had a feeling it was going to go in an alternate direction, but I didn't know if Tarantino would handle it with a degree of grace that... Um, I think for the most part, everyone thinks that he did. I, th I think it's the Bruce Lee stuff that has caught him the most flack, not the Sharon Tate aspect of the film. So yeah, the, the hang aspect of it, this is, you know, two dudes having what I consider to be the most romantic, uh, scene ever in the history of film. When, uh, they pull up from, you know, hard days work of also, you know, hanging out or, you know, one guy driving around the guy who did some work, you have the actor played by DiCaprio, look at his driver played by Pitt and saying, so do you want to you want to come in and watch my episode of FBI? And Brad Pitt's like, well, of course. I already got a six pack. I figured we'd order a pizza that was already on the agenda. And DiCaprio's responsive. All right, it's so he's so happy that his friend like he it's like he was hat in hand asking like his buddy to prom or something. And it's like <laughs> not even a thing. It's like of course, of course, we're gonna do all of these things together because we are a pair. We have that bond. I adore it. I, I love I love just hanging out with these two characters. I love just riding around with Brad Pitt, just being like the coolest guy on the planet. I don't give a fuck if he throws Bruce Lee into a car. I'm all in. I'm I'm all for it. I adore this movie. I did like the hang aspect, actually. I think I liked it for about the first hour or so. One of my biggest complaints coming out of the theater was this severe lack of narrative momentum and that really sets in for me a little after the hour mark. And it also is because I care about, I think, the Cliff Booth character and his misadventures a little more than I do Rick Dalton and Sharon Tate. And then while you are not questioning Quentin Tarantino, I think I'm back to kind of like the Star Trek thing where every other film is good. Like, Reservoir Dogs is fine. And then Pulp Fiction is out of this world. Jackie Brown, for me, is... The fine and then yeah. kill bill one and two are great you've already Death made a mistake is... with jackie brown you've already that <laughs> i know i know <laughs> we can't listen to this man anymore so just play some clips from once upon a time in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> kill bill one and two i consider one film i think he does as well uh i really enjoyed that Death does he Proof? really though okay uh, where where's the dvd copy that was now <laughs> 15 right. years ago <laughs> whole bloody affair whole big <laughs> lying son of a no hey and then inglorious bastards is a goddamn masterpiece and then he farted Django at us i love the hateful eight i know a lot of people don't and so when i exited the hateful eight i was like immediately i was like oh my gosh like he you know i was so high to the point where i think hateful eight is my favorite tarantino film and so coming out of that like incredibly tense and exciting film even longer than this one i think I I was I had my expectations a little high, and I didn't know what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was going to be. And then the, I I do this I do this all the time, and that's why my second watch on on some of these movies goes a lot better, is because I don't judge the film on what what I want there to be on screen, and instead judge it for what what it is and what it's trying to be, and try to enjoy the film on its own terms. 
I did like some of the aspects of the Hangout stuff, but I, I prefer Mike Quinn Tarantino films to have uh, his kind of trademark tension and something that is building to it. So I don't, don't think... You don't buy into the, the very fact that we know Sharon Tate is murdered on this date, and they were, they were making you aware of, of the time frame, which... In fairness, I like I watched this with my younger brother, and he really had no awareness of Sharon Tate. Uh, I mean, I think he knew Charles Manson by name, but didn't know these particular murders. Um, so that probably didn't work for him. But I think if you, uh, you know, obviously this is clearly before our time, uh, the sixties, as I mentioned, this is not this is not like it's a nineties nostalgia trip uh, for people like with the sort of recency bias of like, I did all those things as a kid, or that's what I watched. I think what Tarantino's always succeeded at is making me interested in the things that he's interested in, even if I have no yes. history with them. And so I should have been more confident in that aspect of the film. I'm also, I just love that. I mean, he's got the ego and he's got the track record where he can get Sony to, to step in um, where, you know, this is the first film without, you know, Weinstein, uh, backing for obvious reasons and everything is just like done like on the day is real like they shut down the freeway in la so they put all the vintage cars out there i love just that the glimpse you get with brad pitt i think initially of just driving through the city from the actor that he works for and his friends with driving <laughs> behind a drive-in theater where he lives in a uh, an rv or a trailer um sharon tate even her going to buy a book i love just being in that world i i can see how for other people they would wonder why why are we spending this day with with sharon tate just going to watch herself um the movies but i i, I like that she has this like ethereal presence throughout the movie and she i don't know she represents goodness that her main characters clearly cannot i mean there's a, a throwaway gag of the briefest of moments where clearly intoxicated cliff uh, as played by Brad Pitt, uh, appears like he is contemplating on killing his wife on their honeymoon. <laughs> and Leo, as this pompous actor, even though you have his friend telling him, like, hey, it doesn't sound like a fate worse than death to go make spaghetti westerns, to go film in Rome and eat great food and have sex with beautiful women. These are not inherently likable characters, so I can see the importance of Sharon Tate, but Tarantino, I know he adores these two guys, and he sells it to me. And I'm I'm an easy sell job on this because I I root for Ben Affleck and Dazed and Confused. I like him with the paddle <laughs> chasing <laughs> young punks around. <laughs> but I I I clearly have the opposite approach from you, and that I love this. Uh, on the initial viewing, I think I watched it three times the first week it was out in theaters. And kept like trying to take people to see it, and I've watched it a few times uh, on you know my iTunes copy now. And after this watch, I felt like I was primed to like this may be like one of my like absolute favorite movies of all time. Not just Tarantino, but like one of my favorite movies. Like there's such like I I have a genuine smile on my face just as it starts off, and it's like I know I'm gonna have two and a half hours in this world, and I just I just love being in it i just love you know you you finally convinced me web uh boyhood is trash this is this is cinema right here 
Now, I do like that aspect of it as well. The hangout stuff where you're living in that world. I like that a lot as well. I, I really do. The production design in this film is off the charts. I don't know what it was like in 1969 in L.A. Maybe Dave from Off Screen Death does because he's so old. But <laughs> I kid. I kid. Not, not the fact that he grew up in California. No. <laughs> the age joke is what you went with. Well, that, that was part of it, but I wanted to get the age dig in. <laughs> I love you, Dave. What L.A. looked, sounded, and felt like in this film, I can't imagine it's any different than, than how it was. So... I really did love that. I love the Bruce Lee scene. I absolutely love it because it's a and again, Tarantino going on a lot of different TV shows and podcasts like the the Joe Rogan horseshit show that he Ugh. went on and he's talking telling people to suck a dick if they didn't like that scene. <laughs> Come on, man! Like I don't need you are. <laughs> Look, it's if frustrating. He, if, he, if he came on Trilogy in Theory, I would say Webb. You're not editing anything he says. Like, we're getting as much Tarantino runtime on this. Let him say whatever he wants, and we will reap all the rewards. <laughs> we'll be Homer Simpson with the truck full of sugar. It's what we will be. <laughs> <laughs> I will show you what a hypocrite is if he's ever on this podcast, all right? Now, I, I, I love a lot of, uh, of that stuff. And the Bruce Lee scene, actually, like, really, for me, it was... It's one of those stories that one guy says to another and then that myth and the mystique of it grows and grows like i love stuff like that that's the kind of stuff that makes that's the stuff that urban legends are made of and and i i I absolutely adore that scene well okay i had a very different take on it so i'll I'll agree with some of tarantino's recent comments that he before he told everyone else to suck a dick that uh i could see how someone who uh, is family is kin to Bruce Lee uh, would not like the results of that scene. I myself, I'm not, I'm not a huge Bruce Lee fan. I remember trying to get my dad to watch this one because uh, he was born in the sixties and he was a big Bruce Lee and he liked those martial arts movies and he liked those Westerns. So I just wanted to see his viewpoint from that time period, that, that aesthetic uh, and he had heard about the Bruce Lee thing and was like, I'm not watching that. And like bullshit, Brad Pitt beating up Bruce Lee. And I'm like, well, not, you know, not really. Uh, but he just, he was totally turned off by it. I myself, as I said, not a big Bruce Lee fan in particular. I think the characterization of him, I think he's awesome too. I love how cocky he is. I love his yeah. shit talking. Like I, I think he's a badass character and I don't look at that as it's time to take a shit on Bruce Lee. It made me like. Like, kind of, I hope he actually was like that on set. I hope he was <laughs> cock of the walk. I, I enjoy that, though. But I can see how some people would take it as a slight. I like the idea of a man who lived on this planet was like, I could cripple Muhammad Ali. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, the cojones on that person? And has an audience of people on set drinking coffee. And is like, all right, just so you guys know. Yeah. <laughs> break it down for you. It's It's awesome. And the idea that those people believe him. You're like, I, yeah, yeah, he would. Except for Brad Pitt with the hairpiece, with the, the pompadour hairpiece. He's got to take out the extensions before it's it's time to, to, to wrestle. Um, I I think that that's, it's funny that that, I guess, became the most controversial aspect of this, uh, considering that, uh, you know, the true, you know, the tragedy that it's based around. Um, I did expect more pushback on a Tarantino character like sort of 
propping up, you know, two very pretty boy actors. And I can only attest that I think Brad Pitt totally deserved that Oscar because it's such an easily hateable character. These two guys like, oh, you know, uh, DiCaprio and Pitt take down the Manson family. Like <laughs> They don't have enough in this world and all credit to them. I also think that there's should have been more credit given to DiCaprio for really jumping in headfirst into the patheticness of his character, <laughs> where I guess he's one of the few actors that got to not rewrite, but add things on, add a whole dynamic to the script that the uh, trailer meltdown moment was not scripted. And in fact, that's where Tarantino maybe could have gone off the rails a little bit. He wanted to make an actual like Western episode and he wanted to play it completely straight. He wanted to play it like you're watching that episode. And DiCaprio was the one that said, you know, isn't this guy supposed to be like on the cusp of being like a total has been like, shouldn't we illuminate that more? And I feel like that's Tarantino, the fan of this time period, that maybe it could have gotten away from him if we spent 30 minutes just watching this Western uh, TV show that Tarantino wanted to do. They realistically could have, because he wrote five episodes of Bounty Law, like five complete episodes. He scripted them. He could have absolutely done that. And if this was a miniseries, I bet we would have gotten... <laughs> I was about to say another Homer Simpson reference of him just screaming nerd the first thing he sees when he goes to college. <laughs> uh, but... All credit to DiCaprio for that scene where he berates himself for uh, he couldn't stop himself at like three, four, five whiskey sours. He had to have eight. I love all of it. I love him pointing at his, his beautiful mug uh, with that ridiculous hair piece they put on him and the mustache saying, if he blows this, he's going to shoot himself in the face. But Brad Pitt, this is a character that like Twitterverse should have hated. And yeah. That's a movie star performance right there because people love yes. this cliff character loved him and it shows off what a great screenwriter tarantino is because the, every interaction with him and pussycat all of it builds so wonderfully and that's the kind of stuff that i loved in this one it was like here's tarantino being tarantino and i love it and i like that narrative momentum like the scene at the ranch like, I felt like that's where the climax could have... I mean, I know you can't because of the Manson family and Sharon Tate. You can't have... You can't not have a scene addressing that. But that's where I felt like the film was building. I was on the edge of my seat that entire time. But that's a kind of patience and skill that Guy Ritchie and his Nigel whatever friend who wrote Man from Uncle <laughs> don't have because they don't understand how to build tension, and how to set things up. I think Brad Pitt is wonderful in this. And if you want to talk about how, like, God, fucking Revenant, Oscar, there are two scenes in this movie where, like, give Leo an Oscar right now. And one is the, I guess the margarita, whatever he makes, and he's yelling at the Manson family. Tells them to get their asshole of a car off his street. (laughs) yeah as he's got the pitcher from the blender and he's swinging that's a that's an honorable mention but my favorite scene in this entire film is when he's practicing at the end his lines in his pool and one of the manson film members comes in after being completely wrecked shooting the gun in the air watch Watch DiCaprio get out of the pool and shimmy his way <laughs> to get his flamethrower. That walk, 
That walk makes me laugh every time. So I'm telling you, the stuff that I love in this film, I love. So and the what, stuff what, that are, I... what are the stuff that you don't love? Because you're, I understand you're saying that, uh, I guess maybe from a structural point of view, that you feel like once you get to the uh, Spawn Ranch, um, the, the old cowboy movie studio uh, set, that that's it. But I, I feel like they they <laughs> lurch you forward pretty quickly. Like once we like, it, you know, you got Kurt Russell comes in, does the, I guess the Sam Jackson bit where he's going to be the, the, the narration for this and establishes, Hey, this is going to be one more night with these guys. Like we skipped ahead, their friendships coming to an end, their professional relationship. And I feel like it really moves at that. I, the part that I'm trying to remember when I watched it theatrically, if people were as into uh, DiCaprio's character going to film that that episode of Lancer, and I, f- I felt like that that the vibe in the theater then that's when there was a little bit of a lull. Now that little girl, <laughs> the little girl, the back and forth where they're talking about this novel he's reading, which is basically a character that he sees himself as, <laughs> where he's not that young anymore, not that good, and he's uh, what is the line? He's becoming increasingly aware of like how useless he is, and, and DiCaprio breaks, and <laughs> starts to cry. And she's trying to comfort him, saying, like, I don't really know what that's about. And he says, in 15 years, you're going to be living it. I die every time. He's telling this eight-year-old girl that at 23, she'll understand despair and uselessness. That's about... <laughs> I also have no kids, and I enjoy <laughs> this eight-year-old is trying to be the reasonable one, and instead just slapped with cold, harsh reality. But she doesn't even get it, and he he backtracks pretty quickly. Ah, oh, just just fun in you, just fun in you. I, there are moments like that that I do like, but the entire filming of Lancer and seeing his, I guess, acting process, very difficult for me. I don't know why. I just don't enjoy that stuff very much. And even though I've seen this movie three times, which is pales in comparison to your number, but I, I absolutely will revisit it and probably continue to over the course of my life because the stuff that I like, I really, really like, but I will be skipping around. One thing I will say that did not help is the novelization. I got through a chunk of it before I was like, all right, I'm tapping out. You are such a bastard in this way because I... I'm telling you, like, hey, Webb, I think you'll really like this new iPad. I think, you know, you're all about the nicest possible display to watch your 4K <laughs> HDR content. I really think this is the device for you. Your iPad is, you know, basically a stone tablet that the commandments were written on at this point. You should do it. You fight me and fight me. Then you finally, you finally make the purchase. Uh, only after I have to spend the money as a gift to my wife, not even for me to use for my viewing of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I send you photographic evidence of, like, here's what my iPad looks like, here's what hers. You immediately buy it, and now you adore it. You're so happy. <laughs> it just amuses me to no end. I Now, this is not, the like, a thousand-plus-dollar purchase, but I was a little bit hesitant on the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novelization. There was only one Oddworld review where they were shit-talking Jennifer Jason Lee, And I'm like, I don't know, is it good? And you're like, I'm really enjoying it. You know, I'm in a couple hours in. This is great. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it, Webb. I'm going to be right there with you for this episode. Uh, I also did not make it <laughs> that, that far. I haven't made it to the Lancer stuff, which you hate. But... Horrible. Well, thank yeah, because... you, Webb. Thank you for wasting my Audible credit for this month. You, 
<laughs> you can return it. I'm, I'm certainly going to. But the whole entire Lancer stuff, it's 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 a whole narrative of prose about. And as soon as they started, I was like, "What is this garbage? Like this has nothing to do with the film. It's horrible. It's so boring." But then you know, but also Cliff Booth. There's this entire scene where he spears his wife with like I think a spear gun and cuts her in two, and I'm like, "This is not what." I, like I'm rooting for Cliff in the movie. This is grotesque. I mean, he cuts his wife into, he relishes the fact that he's murdered so many people in the military, his kill count's all high. He, and worst of all, he thinks that Michelangelo Antonioni is a fraud director. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I can't I was deal with this gonna guy. going to go with the, the dogfighting aspect of his pit bull, which I, I have a pit bull. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, mine is difficult. It's certainly not as well trained. I had to stop our first recording for this month because he was eating a pillow behind me on the couch. <laughs> so I don't have the command uh, structure that uh, Brad Pitt does. Cliff and uh, Brandy, I believe I have the, the character's name right, the the dog and the film. I did enjoy watching this once I took my pit bull <laughs> on a walk. And you even gave me shit about that because it started raining on us. And I guess you saw my minute and a half workout I did with this dog. I'm like, look, I'm just trying to get some energy, you know, exhausted so I can watch this two hour and 40 minute movie in peace. Cause unlike you, I'm not going to skip around. I want to have, I want to make it a night with me and my pit bull watching this. And, uh, I, just, I got that, that alert. I was like, that's not his normal half mile workout. Like, Hey, I, in this instance, I'm blaming the dog. I wanted to continue, but I, my pit bull is not as badass as Brandy. As soon as there was a little bit of drizzle, he like was planting his feet. Like I'm not moving another inch. We're going back home where it's comfortable. So what we were talking about once upon a time in Hollywood, maybe in my like top 10 of all time. I think that's fitting because on our man from uncle episode, you said that snatch was one of your favorite movies. Now I feel like, <laughs> am I having that recency bias? But I feel like I've got enough in on this one. It took me a long time to come around to the fact that I like Inglorious Bastards more than Pulp Fiction, and now I think I like this one more than Inglorious Bastards. But it's very close between those two because they're both Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Bastards are both movies about love of movies. I can see where Bastards though gives you more, I guess, narrative thrust than this one, where you could enjoy it more. And my wife agrees with you. That's also been a common theme the last couple months. Usually when there's like a tie-breaking vote, she usually has sided with you, which means I'm going to take the iPad back and give her the shitty one. I'll <laughs> enjoy this movie in glorious uh, HDR. I, I, again, I, I'm, I don't hate this film. I, I was only, only, you know, just a little bit of a jest in the beginning where I'm like, this film sucks. It doesn't. And also just for the record, the fact that he thinks that Michelangelo Antonioni is a bad director, I don't think that's as bad as him cutting his wife in two pieces. <laughs> that was also in jest. What about his hatred of uh, the 400 blows, which I did get to that point in Audible. And yeah. I, screen I screenshot the, the timestamp and then immediately texted you like, this fictional character says, I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> you know what's frightening is I feel like Tarantino is vicariously living through Cliff Booth. Mm. And so all of this stuff about killing his wife and bragging about his kill count it's a little unnerving and it does bleed into a little bit of the movie but i'm gonna try and like neuralize the novelization as much as i can for my memory the film is absolutely a singular vision and that is so much more interesting than almost anything that gets released 
I may not like it, but goddamn, is it going to stick in my head? And I'm going to be thinking about it for a long time, even if, even if I never decide that it's one of the greatest movies of all time. And, and that's what I expect from Tarantino is to continue to give me something to think about and to obsess about. Well, you'll have to wait for his uh, Reservoir Dogs remake that he's going to do himself. That's... The all-black remake? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Woo. There's a, you know, there's a lot of pressure on that 10th film. There really is. And I wait a minute. If I'm doing my math right, if that's his 10th film, then I think he thinks that Kill Bill is one film. He also... By his own math, thinks that Four Rooms is zero films. <laughs> Even <though> it's, <laughs> it's <four. laughs> stupid sugar you're being completely paranoid oh am i am i really Aha! hello all right pal where'd you get the sugar for that tea i nicked it when you let your guard down for that split second and i'd do it again goodbye you see marge you see homer when are you gonna give up this crazy sugar scheme never never marge i can't live the button-down life like you i want it all the terrifying lows, the dizzying highs, the creamy middles. Sure, I might offend a few of the blue noses with my cocky stride and musky odors. Oh, I'll never be the darling of the so-called city fathers who cluck their tongues, stroke their beards, and talk about what's to be done with this homie Simpson. Look, just get rid of the sugar, okay? No! Hey! Get off my sugar! Bad beast! Bad! Ow! Ow! Oh, they're defending themselves somehow!